What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Thanks for joining me. It's exciting week ahead, exciting week going on. It's Wednesday morning. I'm back in Michigan from Texas. Had a good time in Texas. Dude, went to Bucky's for the first time. Have y'all been? I don't know about it until now. I mean, it's the most Texas thing I've ever seen. I've spent a lot of time in Texas, mostly in Dallas. So I just kind of know that area. And Bucky's are these huge travel stops. I'm sure some people know, but for those that don't, these massive travel stops. It's like if Walmart was a gas station. That's what it's like. It's incredible. It, it was, I was blown away. Every like every snack, everything you could ever want. Gift shops, beef jerky counter. My favorite thing in the whole store, they have like a counter where they're just slicing up fresh sandwiches all day. Pulled pork, smoked barbecue turkey, sliced brisket, chopped brisket. Just on, you know, white bread with barbecue sauce for five ninety nine. The dudes serving them are in overalls and cowboy hats. I mean, it's the most Texas thing I've ever seen. I got some beaver nuggets. Don't know what they are. Haven't tried them yet. We're going to try those later. Got a couple of t-shirts. Got a couple of lighters. I went hard on those brisket sandwiches, though. Anyways, it was a good weekend in Texas. Weather was beautiful. Perfect fall Texas weather. Had a good, had Whataburger, too, of course. Um, let's see. Got to talk about that stuff. The double cheeseburger, it's it's great because they put all the they put extra pickles and mustard and onions on it. And if you're an adult, you like those things. Anyways, let's move into some fun stuff. I kind of want to start off by talking about some stocks I don't own, because I always talk about things I do own, which is good, stuff I know, and stuff that people, you know, ask me about a lot. But one one stock that I've been missing out on uh in the last couple of years, but have liked and have talked good, said all the good things about, just haven't bought it because I got burned by it a couple of years ago, Netflix. I had Netflix years <clears throat> years ago. I sold Netflix at $271. I'll never forget that price because now Netflix sits at sits at 632 and that's even on a day where it's taking a little bit of a haircut. Um <clears throat> and they beat earnings again just the other day because of Squid Game and amongst other things, but Squid Game fueling power growth, bringing a billion dollars nearly in revenue to the service in one month. It's incredible. So when you see the valuations, people can say that Netflix might be overvalued, but when you look at things like Squid Game and you're like, I knew they had another, I knew they had another one coming. You know, they do. They always have one in the chamber, right? They had Tiger King. They got the Squid Game. There's always something you they drop it. I mean, they just every once in a while they just they just flex on you. Netflix originals are incredible. Their movies are stepping up. It's like when you look at the whole streaming services. Like, yes, they're going to have competition, but they're still going to be the dominant player. They're still the biggest innovator. They're still the best. You can look at all the uh, like recent awards and award shows and things like that. Netflix always cleans up. Other places, other streaming services are getting nominated, but they're cleaning up. And the other one that I've spoke good about in the streaming world is Apple. I've talked about Apple's streaming service really becoming a power player. Uh, once Tim Tim Cook's a big Hollywood guy, and look at they're slowly they're they're slowly getting into it. And Apple has all the cash on the planet. We always talk about it, 180 billion in cash or something like that, something crazy. So they have all the money in the world to make these projects. They're not they're not overspending for other for um, for like other content. They're just making their own. And look what they've been doing with Ted Lasso. I mean, Ted Lasso's been cleaning up at award shows. 
not that that's the mark of something. I mean, the mark of it in this world is is revenue, but those two are clearly bringing revenue to those services. I mean, Squid Game, literally almost a billion. I think it was like 870 some million or 900, almost 900 million dollars. And it's been out for not even to what, two months, month and a half. But in a separate note with Squid Game, I've been watching it. It's messed up. It's messed up that this many people like the show. All right, <laughs> let's be honest. I know this genre is not original, like these kind of Hunger Games type dystopian type uh, stories are not new. They've been around. This is a good one. It is intriguing. It is it is interesting to watch, but it's fucked up. And a lot of the stuff I think is a lot of predictive programming. And I partially, part of me, my conspiracy brain thinks that Netflix put it on their top 10 until it caught fire. I, I, I think they do that shit all the time. And honestly, why wouldn't they? These streaming services hide their ratings because because they can. And why wouldn't you? You can say what you want to Wall Street. Hey, yeah, look at this is doing. It's the highest rated show ever. And then you're like, oh, highest rated show ever on Netflix. God, I should check that out. And you see on the top 10, you see it number one for like weeks on end. It's like all they got to do is t- program it to do that. It's not hard. I've often noticed that the top 10 on Netflix is a lot, a lot of their original content. <laughs> or some like big show they just paid a lot of money for. Like Seinfeld's been on the top 10 a lot recently. As it should. But Squid Game. It's disturbing that it's this popular. It's messed up, man. At no point do you feel comfortable watching that show. I mean, it's like it's a lot of cliffhangers. You want to keep seeing it, but man, it's messed up. And a lot of the stuff that they're doing, like parts of what's going on, I feel like the stuff, like we're not far removed from this happening in real life, by the way. It's probably already going on. You know, they got to be hard. Like, it's part of this, not spoiler alert, uh, you know, people die in Squid Game. They're basically playing child games to the death for a prize cat, for a cash prize. And one of uh, the plot lines is like some of the workers at this facility where they take them this hidden facility are taking some of the dead bodies and harvesting the organs and selling them i mean we know that already happens it's messed up so i don't i it's weird i don't like all that that's all going on but hey good investment right can we say that yeah we can we can actually because it is and all these fresh uh price targets are coming out for netflix it sits at 6 30 but let's see. I saw a recent list of price targets. Let's just pull them up real quick. Better than expected third quarter revenue added 4.4 million subscribers to its streaming services. Key bank analyst Justin Patterson raised his price target to 690. Um, JP Morgan analyst Doug Anmuth raised his price target from 705 to 750. And there was one more. Uh, another analyst, Douglas Mitchelson, raised his price target to 740. Excuse me. So a lot of lofty price targets coming out on Netflix. Again, as it should, it's like Netflix is going to be the dominant power player in this in this industry. That's a hot industry going forward. Like I've said it on multiple episodes before this. Like Netflix is the last one you delete when you look at all your streaming services. That's very often for a lot of people, that's the last one to go. It's like the OG. It's like the Bitcoin, right? We always kind of go back to that stuff. Industry leaders tend to stay that way. Pineapple principle, right? Like that's that's kind of say that like a, like a you know broken record, but it's true. Industry leaders tend to stay that way. Amazon, Apple, Google, 
Of course. Doesn't mean there's not room for companies. Yes, I invest in Amazon, but I also invest in Shopify, someone that could be competing with Amazon. But same industry, right? But doesn't mean Amazon's going anywhere. They're still going to be huge. But it's like, hey, why not have a little bit of Amazon and then do a little more risky bets and stuff like that? And it's not, I mean, I'm not risking it much investing in a company like Shopify. I mean, come on, it's a $184 billion company. I think they're going to be okay. <clears throat> Affirm, another one. Let's do another one that we uh, didn't have. Oh, wait, before we go into Affirm, though, I wanted to talk about another thing with subscriber stuff, with what's like in the world of streaming. Because uh, this thing was like a thing with YouTube that I saw. YouTube... Um, this was in the Wall Street Journal weekend edition last weekend, so a few days ago. But cool thing with YouTube, they're now hiring. They're have they have in-house agents for a lot of their talent. So if you're like a you know big YouTuber or whatever, instead of going to CAA or ICM or whoever Gersh, APA these talent agencies, you can just sign with in-house management with YouTube. Which honestly, if YouTube is smart, you would give you'd give your like favors to these people, right? Like if I was a big YouTuber, I would absolutely sign with YouTube or and, uh, Google, I guess, with the parent company. I would sign with Google to be my agent because you know they could manipulate the algorithm to like boost your channel and shit. Hey, Cape, do that CAA. Let's be real here. Why not do this stuff? You know they are. Like don't think they're not. This is how you got to think about this bullshit. It's my point with all this investing stuff, you know? There was a big YouTuber, I forget his name, that they were highlighting. He makes like a million a year now or something. But when it was a CAA, when you sign with one of those other talent agencies, they kind of take a bit of everything, right? They take your 10% of your appearance fees. They take 10% of your ad revenue. They take everything. But Google's not going to take a, ch a chunk of your ad revenue, right? That's what the article said. So enticing. You know, this kid left CAA to sign with Google. <laughs> But hey, that's the way this thing's moving. It's a paradigm shift. You don't need to be on CBS to be a star. In fact, most aren't. If you're a star, you're probably not on CBS. You're probably on fucking YouTube. Or on Spotify, you know? Joe Rogan's not on CBS. What? No. It's not 95. So, I think it's great. I love it. Because it's making people squirm, Right? And then you're having services kind of compete for who they're putting on what platform. You know, YouTube's getting a lot of comedians that are getting said no by Netflix. Netflix putting people up like Dave Chappelle, who they got to go and defend publicly. Which, by the way, the Dave Chappelle special was great. I love it. It's hilarious. You should watch it. To call Dave Chappelle a racist is insane. But people are doing that now because of that special. And I think that's hilarious. That is comedy. It's a great special, though. Like, of always. Dave Chappelle's a great comedian. Is it a little preachy at times? Yeah, duh. Do you not know who Dave Chappelle is? Come on now. But it's fine. These companies are going to stay ahead. Netflix is going to stay an innovator. And by the way, a quick stat on Squid Game with Netflix that I wrote down here. It cost $21 million to make that show, and they're closing in on a billion. That's crazy. And again, I'm kind of re-annoyed at myself for not buying... Netflix stock. There was multiple times. It's so important to take advantage of stocks and are trading sideways. I say it all the time. I've said it with Tesla. I'm staying it right now with Square. Now that Square is trying to get, it's starting to get north of 250. But like I've been saying it for the last few weeks with Square. I've said it with Apple the last few weeks, Nvidia the last few weeks, Airbnb currently. 
Tesla, which is now kind of running away. But I, I didn't take advantage of Netflix and was trading sideways. And reason being, I just got burned by it. I, I talk about all the time. Like I talk about stocks sometimes like relationships. And sometimes a stock like that can be like a bad ex. You know? Where like you, you just you just when you when you when you're out, you don't want to look at it. Like just don't want I don't want to see your page. I don't want to see your shit. I don't check it. I don't look at it. And so I'll check later on and be like, oh damn, Netflix is at what? Oh man, she got in shape. Shit. Oh, she got a personality. Damn. So you kind of got to like, it's like, that's how I feel about it with stock sometimes. Oftentimes. It's like love, baby. I always say it. To have and to have lost is way worse than to have never have. Right? So it's better to just never have bought something. It's why I'm slow to buying a firm. I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm gun shy here. But it's been doing great. I've been talking about it since... But ninety dollars? It's at one fifty something now. They just keep announcing partnerships left and right. I hope someone bought it that's listening to this. I will soon if I get an opportunity here. But we're trying. Another company that I that I bought and sold after making a little bit of money, so I didn't lose money like I had Netflix. And by the way, I didn't lose that much money on Netflix, but at the time it felt like a lot. So I just kind of like get annoyed. <clears throat> um what was I just talking? Oh, another one that happened Fortinet. So talk about how cybersecurity is so important. I'm heavy into Palo Alto networks, but there's a lot of companies that do it. CrowdStrike, Fortinet was one of them that I invested in like a while ago. I sold it last fall at like 150-ish a share. And I looked the other day and it was like three something. Let's look it up right now. 332 a share. Damn. I sold it at like 151, I think. But hey, that's going to my point being cybersecurity is on fire. Now I, I did didn't lose money on the fortunate fortunate i didn't lose money on the fortinet sale but i just could have i mean i could have held it but i did take that money and reinvest it into like a little bit more palo alto networks i bought some more tesla which has probably done better over that that time same time frame square nvidia that split you know so it's like whatever you know so that's kind of how i justify it where i'm like ah yeah they're doing better now but so am i bitch like love baby um Speaking of the cyber stuff too, the cybersecurity, how I say how important it is, it's becoming like the number one thing for like, like nation state attacks and terrorist attacks, basically. Like in that book I mentioned last week, uh, the cybersecurity arms, oh, this is how they tell me the world ends, the cybersecurity arms race by Nicole Perlroth. In that book, it said in 2018, terrorist attacks cost $33 billion in damages. Which is a lot, but that's down 38% from 2017. Dude, I'm buying some puts on ISIS, baby. Buy some puts on terrorism. It's going down. Down 38% year over year? Ouch, town. But annual cyber losses, conservatively, are a trillion dollars annually. And some independent research would say it's at $2 trillion a year in cybersecurity losses. But no one's talking about it because it's embarrassing to be like, oh shit, they stole all my stuff off my computer. It's like being caught with your pants down. So a lot of it happens with no one talking about it. And when they when it, and sometimes when it happens, they don't go into it the extent of how bad it is. Right? And we'll find out later down the road. But hey, get back in get in the cybersecurity game. Uh, Palo Alto Networks still climbing. Five oh nine. I love it. I should buy some more. A lot of the price targets are in the sixes now. But it's like, you know, 
my cost average is so good. <laughs> but but that's the thing. I've said this before. Sometimes you just got to throw that out. You know, again, another principle that I try to follow. It's I try to remind myself of. It's like you're not always going to be able to lower your cost average. Sometimes you want more. You just got to come in more. And you got to pay a little money. The game has changed. You got to pay a little more for a little action, right? So kind of the case with Tesla right now. We've been talking about it. I mean, we did the official Cash Pineapples EV Tesla video in like what beginning of May, I believe, when the stock was bottoming out at 550. Not bottoming out, but was at 550. And I know because I checked my Schwab account yesterday to make sure. And yes, I did buy more shares at 550 around that time, right when the episode came out, hoping that it would continue doing what I thought it would do right now so we could talk about it at 864 with earnings coming out later this afternoon. So they, the Tesla beat strong on deliveries. They tend to do this. They announce their deliveries and then they follow with earnings. So they 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 crushed on deliveries with like 270,000, I believe, 271,000 in China. And I've said before, uh, I think we said it last week or the week before, Tesla recently paid off Giga Shanghai early. So now that's off the balance sheet. So a lot of this money coming in, so you're going to see a lot better profit margin. You should. So I think even though analysts are thinking they're going to, there's going to be an earnings beat and they do have high earnings expectations, I think Tesla's still going to beat it by a good chunk because that Giga Shanghai should be off the balance sheet. Hey, look at that accounting degree coming back into handy. Who would have thought? But again, that's pretty simple account. That's accounting 101 stuff, folks. But hey, I did tutor accounting 101 and 102 students and fuck, they don't know shit. So it's it's one of those things though people either, people either you get it or you don't honestly with accounting uh some people just don't but whatever it's not that interesting so i understand why a lot of folks have been asking me if they should buy tesla now i mean i've been debating it myself i've not bought in the 800s yet i bought low 800s i think or high sevens and that was before the recent prices that was like oh, six months ago seven months ago but Tesla does tend to not give many chances once it catches on fire like this. That's why it's, again, that's why it's so important to take advantage of dips and when things are trading sideways, like what's been happening with Netflix, I didn't do. And Square and Amazon, and like I said, even Apple recently. Because, again, they don't they don't offer many opportunities. Now, I was uh, reading an article that was pointing out, I think it was an Investor's Daily, the cup and handle base buy point was like 900 bucks. So, but I, I always tend to think in broader terms. Like if you're looking at the if you're looking at the chart like that, you could say, yeah, there's a buy point at 900. But I I I think in you know longer terms than that. I don't really. I just think, hey, if, well, if it's going to a thousand, I think by the year end, why wouldn't I get more at 860? So maybe I will. I'm kind of waiting to see what happens after earnings because Tesla has been on a seven day winning streak. It's been uh, it's been it's closed in the positive seven days, seven trading days consecutively. So that's almost two weeks straight, and. Some of those days were pretty big wins, some pretty big days. They weren't just small percentages. So I don't know if it's going to spike even more after earnings. I think it might just because I do expect an, a, a larger than normal beat on earnings. But it has been winning for two weeks. So I think Wall Street might know that too. So it could run up and then maybe sell off a little bit after earnings. But I would, I'm going to wait that out and see because it tends to, even if they do crush earnings, it tends to spike in after hours and kind of opening you know that next day it might take a little bit of pain the next day or two but then it goes right back on the train it tends to do that like it'll run up to earnings sell off a little bit regardless of the how good the news is but then that's just i feel like it's just the company's taking a little bit of profit from the run up up to it 
then they they sell to take the haircut and then they just come right back in and then the rocket just takes right back off again pretty much happened like two weeks ago so i think it's it's gonna happen again dan ives at wedbush again he also has a thousand dollar price target john murphy at bank of america raised his price target a hundred dollars before earnings from 800 to 900 and michael burry our famous big short guy the guy that called the housing crisis is no longer shorting tesla oh no shit I've pointed this out, his strategy, a while ago where he'll make it a, a short and then he'll have an article come out where he'll take advantage, like Tesla will be at a higher point or it'll run up too quick and he'll do a quick short on it and he'll make this big fuss and then probably clear God knows how many hundreds of millions of dollars. And by the time the article comes out, he's already made his money because usually those articles come out once Tesla's already been kind of falling a little bit and then that just kind of pushes it the rest. So Perry just squeezes a little bit more out of his option contract. Does that shit all the time. Again, like I said, the guy hasn't been like really right since the 2009 housing crisis. So like whatever. I wouldn't keep, dude. It's like, are, do you still listen to Dixie Midnight Runners? Yes. Yes, you do. But you should listen to Dixie, but not Michael Burry. Okay. He's a one hit wonder you don't listen to. He also said he wasn't shorting crypto anymore. Or not shorting it, but he wasn't like doubting it or something. I, I just saw the headline. Whatever. Crypto's been taken off. Hell yeah, Bitcoin, SEC hasn't like fully approved the ETFs yet, but they basically were like, yeah, it's coming. So, <laughs> I mean... um. Oh, wait, no, there is. There is an ETF. That's that's what it was. The um, Like, there hasn't been like full SEC approval, I guess, of like the whole thing of what's going... Like, uh, I don't know. Let's find out. Let's find out. Because there was, I did see like conflicting articles about Bitcoin, SEC, Bitcoin ETF approval. Um, oh, that's what it was. They converted the Bitcoin trust into an ETF. So you can now buy into Bitcoin via an ETF, I believe on the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, first Bitcoin futures ETF debuted on Tuesday. So you can't buy like, Let's see. The Pro Exchange, Pro Shares Bitcoin Link Exchange Traded Fund will make its official. Yeah, on Tuesday. Oh yeah, it won't let you buy Bitcoin directly, but it's still a significant regulatory beat for the crypto industry. Okay, that's what it was. So I was gonna say you, it's just like a Bitcoin futures ETF. So yeah, there hasn't been full SEC approval for Bitcoin ETFs, but a Bitcoin futures ETF is like the next step. So that's why Bitcoin, I think, has been running up. Also, inflation should be making it run up, like we were saying. Um. Well, speaking of like including things to major exchanges like Bitcoin and ETFs, Bitcoin to ETFs and whatnot, I may have found some information on to why Novonix was doing a run up recently. They were added to like the the OTCQX, which is the over the counter. It's like the top tier of the over the counter marketplace. Which over the counter is basically like the stocks that are not traded on major exchanges, but Novonix being they're not like a billion. They're in the billion plus tier of that market so since just gives it legitimizes them more so i feel like it's not nasdaq inclusion yet obviously but i think it's the next step where it's like okay cool they're moving up in the the over like basically they got called up to triple a right they went from double a to triple a now the next call up should be the majors whether that's the nasdaq the s not the s&p no way to be the s&p uh the nasdaq or like um 
I guess the Russell 500 or 1,000 would be one of them. But I think the NASDAQ's what they're, obviously what they're going for. We found that article about them applying for the NASDAQ in May. So that's what, that'd be the next step, going from here to the NASDAQ. And I think, I'll double check on my Schwab later, but this should be, this this latest move should allow you to buy their stock without a foreign exchange fee now. I hope. I don't know if that's true yet. I'll try to find out and we'll get back to you next week on it because I, I need a little bit more Novonic stock. It's at like 440. It went down to 370. Like we were talking about last week, trying to find a buying opportunity for it. But uh, I was hoping it would go down to like 350, maybe almost low threes, but it didn't get there. And now it's right back to where it was. Well, it's, it went up to like six bucks, but so there's still some room from where it was to where it's getting back up to. But I'm just kind of like, ooh, I don't know. We'll wait We'll wait a second on it. Um, but I do think, again, I do want to get more and more Novonics before it's like $10 a share. And then God knows who knows how much if they keep doing what they're doing and become like the next gen battery materials provider. I mean, gosh, the sky's the limit, really, right? So it just feels good to be ahead of one, like really ahead of the curve on one, you know, especially owning a stock and seeing it I've never owned a stock before it got added to major indexes, right? So this is an exciting time for Novonics. I think the company is still going to do big things and go to go on to big exchanges like that. So it's like buying Apple in like 2008, 2010, you know, that's how I feel about it. So let's, uh, that's just me again, do your own research for legal reasons, but I've talked about Novonics at nauseum and why, why I believe in it. And, why they're going to take advantage of this EV future that's going on. All right, now let's talk about some dirty stuff that I found this week. The Wall Street Journal found an article about federal judges, 61 of them, <laughs> buying... Uh, oh, wait, hang on. Let me double check that. All right, I went to go grab... I made sure to grab the article. And it was 61. Judges or their brokers bought and sold stocks of litigants. 61 report trades made while they oversaw six sober... I can't talk. 61 judges made trades while they oversaw suits involving the companies. That's crazy. And all these disclosures in this article said they sold between $15,000 and $50,001 or $15,001 and $50,000 worth of stock, which makes me believe they're all lying because they're all just saying this one tier where they probably can't disclose some. I don't know. It just seems fishy to me. Of course, federal judges who are making trades on cases they're overseeing, which is illegal, but what's going to happen? probably nothing so i probably found some loophole where they can do it as i read the article that's what i kind of started to get into it's actually 131 federal judges that they said that they outlined in this article wow amazing amazing federal judges and honestly even if there is a slap on the wrist for some of these people these judges that did this I bet a lot of them, if you make enough money, look, man, if you make, if you know how to, if you know, if I, I always say this, if I even knew one day of what's going to happen in the stock market, I could make millions, right? Cause you could just buy a fat options contract or something for one day or just put, you know, you just, you could just do crazy stuff. So you could make a ton of money, you know, and obviously if you had, if you had more money, depending on how much money you could, you know, swing, you could obviously make, I mean, that God, the sky's the limit, how much money you can make in a single day. And that's why a lot of them do this crazy stuff and do outside trading. Cause if you're swinging hundreds of millions or billions of dollars and you know something, oh my God, you can make so much money. That's why hedge funds do. But 
these judges, I'm sure they're obviously not swinging billions and hundreds of millions of dollars, but they're swinging tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands. If not, they have millions in there. And so if you know what's going on and you can know a day or two of what's going to happen, like that's a, that's a wrap, dude. Even if you get caught, okay, slap on the wrist. We're taking your license. You, We're taking away your job. You can't be a judge anymore. Okay, cool. Bye. I'll take my $10 million severance package that I just made for myself because I was overseeing the Apple case. <laughs> right? Hey, I mean, I respect it. Would I do the same thing if I was a judge? Absolutely. But hey, I am not. So since I'm not, I'm going to sit here on my perch and talk shit about them. But they don't care. Just like I wouldn't care if I was sitting in my $10 million estate listening to some guy on his podcast be like, how dare they? I'd be like, how dare I? As I bite into my salmon bagel and catch an ocean breeze. Hmm. See, I don't give a shit. All right. And as I was just thumbing around, I just, I didn't even notice this, but Bitcoin, let me check. Where's my phone? Bitcoin just went up to or this morning. Oh, shit. Like 20 minutes ago? Let me check this thing. What's Bitcoin? I probably can't even open the app. It's probably going to crash on me because Bitcoin's at an all-time high. Dang. Okay. Wow. Ethereum's at four, over $4,000. 4020 Hello. Bitcoin's at 66400 Whoa. Hello, gang. What a day. So... Just keep in mind, when we did the Bitcoin episode of Cash Pineapples, Bitcoin was like sub $35,000. So if you did watch that episode and bought some Bitcoin, which actually I know people that did. So kudos. I think my brother was one of them. And I still think Bitcoin, hey, 100,000 plus, it's still going to keep going. It's going to keep going. Until all the Bitcoin's gone, this is going to keep happening. So... You know, you want to get better prices. You don't just buy at the all-time highs, but you want to keep, you know, keep adding to it. And so, let me close this app. And what we focused on, and go watch the Bitcoin episode on the YouTube channel if you haven't seen it. But what we talked about in that episode, you know, I'm a person that doesn't like, I'm not a tech guy. I'm not a tech nerd. I don't fully understand um, all the cryptocurrencies, but I understand Bitcoin. I understand the economics of it. And I, like I said in that video, once I did, I went in heavy, you know, heavy for me. Right. And I've been adding to it since, since, but I started buying Bitcoin pretty much, I think almost a year ago. I think it's my Bitcoin anniversary. And a year ago, Bitcoin was about $13,000. I made my first Bitcoin purchase around $13,000. So it's been a good time in the Bitcoin world. So I think my total cost average even still is like sub 30. It's like, I think my cost average is like between 25 and $28,000 for Bitcoin. So it can, it can do a lot of things and I'll, I'll be okay with it, honestly. So if it goes sub 50, sub 40, sub 30, Hey man, I'll just buy more because I know it's going to keep going right back to where it was. It's clearly a viable asset I think it's hilarious that people like JP Morgan, CEO of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, came out and said, I think Bitcoin's worthless. And Charlie Munger, 
saying that Bitcoin's worthless or uh, is, you know, vile and disgusting or something like that and having no value at all. And it's like, of course, these guys are going to say it. It's coming after them. I mean, of course, the guy that runs JP Morgan is going to be worried about a decentralized currency. Oh, no kidding. Of course, he's going to say that. So you got to read those articles and just let it roll off the shoulders. But it's just fear mongering shit. Of course that asshole's going to say that. JP Morgan's been around since what? Civil War time? <laughs> and, uh, or just after? And, you know, hasn't really innovated much since. And so it's like, of course they're going to go down. I mean, of course he's not going to like Bitcoin. Charlie Munger, who is Warren Buffett's right-hand man at uh, Berkshire Hathaway, of course a 95-year-old's not going to understand Bitcoin. I wouldn't expect him to. But I'm going to hear him say that and go, yeah, that's dumb. But there is some stuff that he does say of value. Like one of my favorite things I like to tell people is a Charlie Munger uh, quote or philosophy where he says the first hundred thousand is the hardest. Once you get past that, you can let off the gas a little bit. But until you get to that hundred thousand, you need to be just aggressive as hell getting that account to a hundred thousand. And I would agree one hundred thousand percent. And honestly, not even 100,000. I mean, yes, 100,000. You want to get to that as quick as possible. But even once you get to 25, 30, 40, 50, I think you, you know, you're going to see some, some, some real movement on, on the good days and the bad days, you know, for sure. So you're going to, you know, you're going to start seeing those swings, but you know, take, you got to take, take everyone's, that's why I always say like, read everything, but don't, you know, trust nothing. So take, take everything for what you want. You know, you kind of, kind of cherry pick your advice if you want. You know, you shouldn't do that with everything, but with stocks, I totally recommend it. You know, just do a little cherry picking. Be like, I believe you and I like what you're saying. Oh, you don't, you're, you're shit talking what I own? Yeah, that guy's full of shit. That guy's an idiot. That's fine. That's okay. You should think like that. You know, root for your team. And people that talk shit be like, this guy's a dummy. <laughs> um, let's see a quick check on some stuff I might be looking at buying. Honestly... Let's go through a quick run of my my main account. I mean, I wish I would have picked up a little bit more Square under 250. It was at 230. I should have snagged a couple more. Nvidia. You know, a lot of these things are kind of running away now. Amazon's still at a decent price. I feel at 34.28. I think that's destined for 4,000 plus in the next year. So that's not bad. Am uh, Airbnb? I should probably get a little bit more. But even at 170, I'm going to raise my cost average. So I don't want to. But again, I got to go against what I said. I talked about Zillow being like beat to hell. There's still a lot of high price targets for Zillow. And the stock has been absolutely obliterated. I mean, 87 bucks. If you want to throw a couple hundred bucks at it, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I don't think it's I don't think so. I said that last week, I believe. Same with CRISPR. That's one that I know Kathy Wood and Ark Invest is big on, like the gene editing, therapeutics, all that shit. It's sub 100. It's at 99 as I'm saying it. I mean, 500 bucks should net you a few, you know, 10, 15% in the near future here. I mean, shit, I might just throw a couple of bucks at that. Maybe in my short account. I need to add more money to my Webull account. And by the way, if you want a Webull account, let me know. I'll send you a promo code. I need to like link that into the into the bio. I'll do that this week or next. We'll start. We'll hey, we'll keep we'll keep building. Which, by the way, this this podcast is since we you know switched over from high tea to cash pineapples, it's been good. It actually was uh we had better <laughs> numbers than with high tea. High tea was good. It was fun, but uh, this has been, you know, like this is a good way to to talk about a lot of the stuff I've been thinking and 
uh, from week to week about the stock stuff and, and get people kind of in my mindset and kind of my philosophy and why this is, uh, you know, not as scary as people think it is. Like I still hear people saying all the time, like, Oh, you're going to lose all your money out this weekend. I was talking to a guy about it. The guy's 37 years old. There's all this money in the bank. He doesn't have any stocks. And he was like, Oh man, I need to start getting it. He's like, Oh, don't aren't you gonna lose all your money though. Look, man, the richest people in the world have all their money in stocks. The people that are the best with their money have all their money in stocks. So why, why does your broke ass think you're going to lose all your money? I don't get it. I truly don't get it. It's the biggest like misinformation campaign I've ever seen. And so even still, there's been like an article came out this week. I forget who published it, but it was all over financial Twitter and CNBC and shit like that. It was like 10% of Americans own 89% of the stocks. Like the richest 10% own 89% of the stock market. Yeah, no shit, dude. If you look at the hedge funds, it's the same thing. I've, t- I've pointed it out before on previous episodes where like three or four major hedge funds own like most of the S&P 500. So it's like, yeah, of course they can move markets together. All they got to do is make like two phone calls or like one dinner and they can move the S&P. If you and your three closest friends could move the S&P over a steak dinner, would you not? Let's be real here. They do. That's why you see coordinated sell-offs all the fucking time. I wonder if it's like a code. I wonder if they're like, hey, when we get lobster on Monday, that means we sell off on Tuesday. Like, I wonder if there's like stuff like that, you know? I guarantee it. That's their way of like, you know, not discussing things. But like maybe when they go out to a certain restaurant, the next day is when they do their sales. Like, hey, or that week where they're like, hey, we're going to go to, you know, (laughs) we're going out for, for tomahawk steaks this week tomahawk steaks that's the code we're going out for tomahawk steaks that means we're gonna because that you know it's symbolic we're gonna take a little haircut here we're gonna chop a little off the top it's a metaphor hey man i'd be such a good hedge fund manager this is how i'd run my business (laughs) we're gonna get there we're gonna get there one by one one listener at a time we're gonna build this empire people are gonna be listening to me say this kind of shit and be like damn this i think this guy's onto something i'm not wrong look at the chart okay they're going out for tomahawk steaks and selling off during the week, okay? And then maybe they do another dinner. We're like, all right, buying time, you know? It's not a bad strategy. I think it's pretty good, actually. I think I need to send some applications into Wall Street. Maybe I'll do that next week. I'll just go through some, like random like try to find some like firms and like that are hiring and i'll just put like i'll just make a fake resume and then just say like my trading numbers i'll use actual trading numbers that i have and say like my portfolio numbers but i'll just lie at where i worked why not i think it's hilarious that's like i say that all the time like if i was to go back into professional careers like i would just make up a resume like oh yeah i was here i was over there yeah yeah i did that Because whatever job you're going to go to, like if you're a smart person, you know how to just do the job. Like they're going to teach you how to use the software, whatever you need to do. They're not just going to be like, all right, here's your desk. Do all the accounting. It's like, no, they're going to like go through it with you and be like, all right, here's this, this, this. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. If you're a halfway decent, you know, smart person. So just lie. I just do that. Just make up like a resume. (laughs) I worked all these places. And then, uh, you know see if I can get some interviews and then do them over zoom and record them for a podcast. No, they're not going to do it. Cause they would, they'd all call. They're like, I'd have to make up like firms, you know, 
because they're gonna call people. I'd have to like make up firms. Well, that's it. Have to be real firms, but I have to somehow like because they're gonna call them like references and stuff. Well, to be honest, most often not. Like honestly, in most cases, I don't even think they call your references. They're just like, okay, cool, we put them on there. I don't think I've ever had someone call for a reference before. Even when I worked at Price Waterhouse, I don't think. Maybe they did. I don't. I don't remember. I honestly don't think they did. I really don't. I had letters of recommendation and things like that that they took for, for different like scholarships in school. But like once I was doing jobs, you don't you don't get letters of recommendation for jobs. So yeah, they don't do their due diligence. Hey, maybe we should do that. Cash pineapples for Wall Street. I have always joked about me and my friend Nick just opening up a a family investment firm where we just take boomers money and invest it in SP 500 indexes and then just pay them the 5% that they want and think that they're winning. So, so many boomers I know have shitloads of money and they just invest in like money markets and they're like, I'm retired. I just want to make my 5%. I'll make my 10%. It's like, dude, like I know I sure, sure. But you have to put all your money in that. Let's put a half million millions of dollars in boring dividend investments. Like, Sure, put a bulk of it in boring dividend investments, but peel off like 25%, 30%. And I'm not saying go wild with it, but put it in like growth tech stocks. Why not? Like imagine if you had $100,000 in Square stock last year or like any stock, let's be real, like any stock in the NASDAQ. Pick a month and you get to put $100,000 into it. It's a fun exercise. It'll make you want to go crazy. Do it. Pick any stock in the NASDAQ, $100,000 a year ago, Year to year, October 20th to right now. Maybe not any, but shit, any in my portfolio. Okay, go through Square, NVIDIA, Amazon, Google, Apple, Tesla, Palo Alto Networks. Those are my big ones. Go through any of those seven and put $100,000 October 20th last year versus this year and look at the gains. It'll make your head spin. But boomers are like, nah, man, get my 5%. So don't do that. You can do better than that. You're better than 5%, okay? You're better than 10%. You're better than 15%, all right? Aim high and keep listening to the show, and we'll get there. All right, bye.